how celebrities celebrate 420, you know, musicians and celebrities. Here's Family Guy, did a show, a whole 420 episode. <laughs> it's been on The Simpsons a number of times. There was this guy, this is really funny when you look at it, the guy on The Price is Right, he went on the show and did everything at 420. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast where every Friday we talk about how marijuana legalization is changing Americans' lives. I'm Jenny Kane, your host. On today's surprise episode, pre-420, the guys who invented 420, the ubiquitous cultural code for pot, are going to tell us the true story of how the cultural code was invented. All we can say is we're the only ones in the world with proof, and we challenge anybody to step forward with proof verifiable proof that they started this before us because we know they didn't. To address the tall tales straight out of the gate, the story has nothing to do with a police code, nor Hitler's birthday, thank goodness. Instead, the story takes us back to 1971, and it starts with a treasure map, a rogue California Coast Guardsman, and five adventurous stoners who are fortuitous enough to hang out with the Grateful Dead. While it may feel like I just described the script for The Goonies Part 2, or maybe the nostalgia script of your dreams, this is in fact a true account. Today's episode will be a little unorthodox compared to what you'll be listening to in the future on the podcast. Because the podcast, once it officially debuts on April 20th, we're going to be focusing on post-legalization stories. This one, we're not going to do that. We felt this story was important though because the code 420 is something of a relic of prohibition. I mean, it's still common lingo, but it was initially used to bound five stoned teenagers. We'll talk to two of them today. But then it became almost a password into the cannabis community worldwide. The podcast is about legalization. But for a moment, we're going to talk about the days of prohibition and the culture that it bred. So last month, I found myself in an elevator, dropping down to the basement of a Wells Fargo in San Francisco, en route to see a box of evidence that supposedly proved the true story of how 420 came to be. The evidence, which I had no idea exactly what it was, was locked up in a vault in this bank. I was with two average, middle-aged men, Dave Reddix and Steve Capper who claimed that they invented 420 with a couple of friends. Before we entered the vault, though, I insisted that they take me back to the year of the first known reference to 420, the year 1971. Going back to 1971. 71, 71. That's Dave you hear. He's kind of the kooky one. Steve admits he's always been kind of the goody two-shoe of the group. Dave and Steve were kids in the 60s and 70s, growing up in Marin County, a well-off community across the bay from San Francisco. They were stoners, Dave, Steve, and their three friends, Mark Gravich, Jeff Noel, and Larry Schwartz. They called themselves the Waldos because they hung out on a wall on their campus at San Rafael High School. Here's Steve. Yep, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're just friendly, happy, funny guys. So, and somehow, because of that, all these doors open for us all the time. The Waldos were in their own wacko world. They were known for picking up weird sounds and catchphrases like, Zoit, yeah, uh, Norman's in Nevada, and such. And they'd turn them into an inner circle dialect. 
We do impressions of there's people on TV, people in our lives, coaches. I mean, you name it. Everybody got an impersonation. And it turned, a lot of them, the impressions were catchphrases. So we had hundreds of catchphrases that were constantly, you know, like a body of catchphrases and impersonations. Yeah. We almost, an entire language of our own. Yeah. You know, just. Yeah, 420 is just including, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. 420 is a tip of the iceberg of our slang catchphrases. The Waldos were also famous for their affinity for weed and their wild adventures, which they called safaris. Their safaris ranged from climbing under the beams of the Golden Gate Bridge and bouncing on the painter's nets to going to visit the scientists in San Francisco who were making one of the first holograms known to man. In fact, they were making a hologram city. It was, it was kind of like uh, yeah, Cub Scout field trips, except we were stoned. The fact was, these boys were game for anything. So one day, a friend came to them with a curious tip. He came up, he said, hey, my brother's in the Coast Guard, and the couple guys in the Coast Guard, they're growing marijuana. And for some reason, they think they got the uh, insight that their commanding officer is going to bust them. And they don't want to be busted, so they decided to abandon the patch. And they've given us permission to go pick it. They made a map for us of where it is. And uh, so Steve brought it to us and he proposed, hey, we go, what do you think? Should we go look for this? We're all, are you kidding? You know, you got five teenage kids looking for weed constantly and this is free weed. So we all said, yeah, it's a no brainer. Let's go. Uh, So we decided after Steve showed us this treasure map, he said, well, why don't we meet after school after our extracurricular activities. And two of the guys had football practice, which lasts about an hour, approximately. Uh, we got out of school, or as a, it's a flexible, <laughs> modular schedule. Some people get out at 3, some people get out at 3.10. But uh, everybody's out by like 3.15, 3.20, but they're approximately an hour of football practice. So they said, it's just enough time to do football practice, get back from the gym to the, the statue of Louis Pasteur on campus, the, the chemist. That was uh, it was an old Bufano statue, which is a very famous uh, sculptor. We don't know how his statue got onto our campus, but people uh, really high, hold this guy in high regard, and we had one of his statues on campus. So essentially, if you didn't put two and two together, 4.20 is the time that all of the hooligans were out of school and done with their respective activities. When we knew we were going to go look for it, we, we didn't want anybody for, to forget. So we'd remind each other in the hallways. You'd see each other in the hallways. To go, meet at the statue. You go, you go 420 Louis. The statue of 420 Louis. Louis Pasteur. We'd say 420 Louis. And we go, yep, 420 Louis. So that meant we we're going to meet well, today. Wink. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, and after, wink, after, after about uh, you know, a number of weeks, we just dropped Louis and we look at each other and go, 420. Well, we went looking for it out. The, the peninsula is big, it's huge, it's all windswept. It, it's kind of, and we'd go out there sometimes and be foggy. So you start looking at the map and you try and make sense of it and you kind of get lost out there. <laughs> Plus we're smoking and smoking and smoking. We'd go all over there looking for stuff. We'd go back each week, you know, uh, about once a week we'd go back. And sometimes... Uh, actually, we went more than once a week in the beginning. We were going almost every day. But also... Sometimes one Waldo couldn't make it and another Waldo would go, so maybe two would go, maybe. But the first time, all five of us went. Yeah. So after that, it was just different uh, Waldos going together, still searching for this patch. We searched for several weeks. We never found it. The Waldos did go back in recent years to see if they could find the ganja garden of their dreams. And they still couldn't find it. 
That doesn't mean it's not there, though. Anywho, 420 didn't die with their dreams. They used it all the time, especially when they were around Waldo, Jeff's father, who was one of the top narcotics officers in the state. In fact, he used to haul home a pot bust in the back of his pickup, and his son would take a little off the top before his dad drove it into the station the next morning. You can bet that code was abundantly useful with Jeff's dad around. As our secret code, yeah, we continued 420 beyond that. Yeah. But we were, I mean, at a certain point, we didn't find the weed and go, well, okay, well, yeah. not search anymore. On to the next safari. Yeah. Yeah, we just continued the safaris, but we added this to our lexicon of terms. Yeah. So 420 forever became equivalent to weed versus just like meeting it. You know, right. I, I could walk up to, to one of the other Waldos and I go, 420? And they would, like, mental telepathy, they would know if I'm saying, are you stoned? Do I look stoned? Do you have any? Uh, do you want to go off and get stoned? You could say like 10 different things just by saying 420, and it was kind of like mutually understood all the time. <laughs> it was kind of magical in that. And then, and then that just be, kind of became our secret codes because nobody knew what we were talking and about. And so we could say 420 in front of our teachers, cops, parents. Coaches, nobody knows what we are talking about, so we had it covered. The story didn't end there. See, the boys, they had connections with the dead. And we're not talking about ancestors and skeletons. We're talking about the dead, the Grateful Dead. Well, I was, like I told you, I was, my brother Patrick uh, was good friends and still is good friends with Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead. It gets better. Remember one of the Waldos was named Mark? Well, Mark's dad was a realtor, and he was a realtor, in fact, for all of the members of the Grateful Dead. Gravage. Yeah, hi, Gravage. And he took care of the real estate needs for the dead. They, they needed rehearsal space, office space. Uh, places to store their equipment. Everybody in the dead, organ including the dead themselves, everybody in the organization was making money. So they all wanted homes. So he was finding all of them homes in the Marin <clears throat> County Hills. And when these guys, and as soon as he'd find them, well, if he found them a rehearsal space, he said, oh, I just got them a new rehearsal space. Here it is. Go out, go hang out with them. They're there, cool. There was this yeah. place in Santa Fe on Front Street. And then, we used to listen to them practice and get high outside, shoot baskets and hang out and do goofy yeah. stuff. So there was another, oh, and then Mark, Dad, would always get us on the guest list. We'd backstage go, passes. Yeah, so we were always on, on backstage and on stage with them. He'd smoke out, use the term 420, and the whole community picked it up. You guys were living the 70s dream, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the boys also used to dog sit and house sit for the dead. In the Waldo's opinion, how else could the jargon have taken off besides through the dead? But it does sound kind of like a dreamy fantasy, right? So here's where we have to stop and look at the evidence. So let's go back to last month in March, when I stood with Dave and Steve outside this vault, waiting to see this so-called evidence. This quiet bank employee had no clue as to what was going on. You know what 420 means? I do. What is it? Smoking time. <laughs> okay. Now, I would think that any 420 evidence that existed in the world would be stored in a recluse's desk pile next to a wilting cactus and a paperweight. But this so-called evidence was kept in this beautiful vault. I'd actually never seen a vault before, but it was gorgeous. It was a circular door, like a silver moon, with a million brushed steel locks. And when you entered, there were hundreds of tiny silver drawers. Anyways, the quiet man gets his keys and pulls out a box. And we go to a locked room and Dave and Steve open this box 
Inside is a baggie, not with weed, but letters. These guys have saved their letters. And unless they are truly the most diligent frauds ever, these letters were unmistakably old, yellowed and all. These notebook paper messages were written to, in the voice and penmanship, no doubt, of high school boys. And I, I wrote uh, Steve, I said, how, how uh, my brother is Phil Lesh's manager, and last weekend I had a job as a doorman backstage at a concert. I smoked out with David Crosby and Lesh and got paid 20 bucks. Wow, <laughs> 20 bucks. And uh, uh, then, I, you know, in this letter, I rolled him a joint and, and I stamped it down so it would fit in the envelope flat. And I put it in there. And then I, I said at the end of the letter, P.S., a little 420 enclosed for your weekend, Dave. That's the first time I've seen this one. 420. That's Pinocchio has, has termites. termites. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just doing anything to crack my friend up. I mean, these were these letters, I mean, if you look at them, they're just a bunch of stone, stoned ramblings of all kinds of stuff. Like here, this one. You can see this is, I can, you can tell it's very old. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to... And then I go off onto all these ramblings of jokes and stuff. And there's, a, uh, there's about four or five different things going on. First of all, again, you know, seven, early 70s postmark. You can see we refer to ourselves as Waldo's, dear Waldo Steve. Uh, the Grateful Dead connection is in, in there. And a lot of people say that's one of the ways it got spread around the world, is through the dead community. And then... The Waldos have a wide assortment of letters, one sent from Israel, and also a batik flag with 420 in the middle. It was made by a friend in art class. All of these pieces of evidence packed in the metal box. Even after sharing the letters in recent years with fans and media, there are still naysayers, or folks who will fabricate their own tales. One of the most endearing parts of the story, though, is not in the box. It's the story of Gary, the Coast Guardsman who originally drew the map to the patch of pot. It was a six-year journey to find the guy. Wow. And at, at first, I didn't even know he was in San Jose. I was finding guys of the same name. His name was Gary Newman, and we didn't even know what the proper spelling was. Yeah. I'd be calling up. I, I thought he, I had heard he was maybe up in Sonoma County. So I was calling up every Gary Newman that could be approximately that age. And, you know, back then, this was like, you know, five, four or five years ago people like who is this marijuana uh, you know we're not so sure now it's out in the open but yeah. i had to had extensive scripts to get people to loosen up and talk to me anyway towards the very end i found out he was living homeless in the streets of san jose and i got a, a private detective to help us find him and we found him he ended up you know responding to our letter and we had a meeting and one of the ways that we got to them was that they had the Super Bowl down in uh, San Jose a few years ago, and they wanted to clean up the city and get a lot of the homeless people off the streets. So we knew he would have a, a tough time being out on the, you know, being out on the streets during the Super Bowl, yeah. if at all. So we offered to put him up in a hotel for a couple days where he could watch the Super Bowl, uh, and he bit. So we met him, we interviewed him. Uh, we have all kinds of video. We, we oh, we ended up getting extremely hard to get. You just can't get this. His U.S. Coast Guard records. We have 166 pages of 
government-embossed sealed Coast Guard records that proved he was at the lighthouse in 1971, stationed in the Coast Guard. We have on our website, if you look, you see his veteran's ID and stuff like that. And something we didn't know was that uh, he was in the Coast Guard when he planted the weed, but... He was he got he out and he discharged, went. and then he got paranoid, and that's when he gave the map because he was still <gasps> on, in, the, in the reserves, and he was worried he was going to get busted. So that's why he gave his brother-in-law the map to give to us. So, oh my gosh! So then we wow. took we took him out to we had a like a field trip. We got a bunch of Waldos, a bunch of people. That's when I made that video. So if you watch the video, you yeah. can see the interview with his, Gary. Okay. His, his other brother-in-law who was there the day that he drew up the map and handed it over, he went with us. I mean, he's up in Sacramento. We the ex- brother-in-law was with you guys. One of the brother-in-laws. Okay. Right, that was there when the, you know when he made the map. He went with us, and we went up to Point Reyes, and we, Dave did a video of that, interviewing him, show, him talking about the, his days at the Coast Guard and everything like that. So that was a major, major finding uh, event last year. So that basically shut the door on all those people that are saying, there was never a treasure map, there was never a map maker. Yeah. We, got, we got the facts. And wow. anybody's entitled their opinion, we got the facts. Yeah. Gary became somewhat of a celebrity among the local homeless community, but the Waldos have since lost track of him. Still, they want people to remember his role in the story as much as theirs. The rest is history. By the 90s, everyone was using the term 420. On Craigslist, flats looking for roomies posted that they were 420 friendly. The Simpsons had a wide assortment of references, and some professor even did his dissertation on 420. Recently, the Oxford Dictionary even picked it up. We started seeing 420 scratched in in park benches and spray-painted on walls. And one time, Steve and I, about, I don't know, about 15 or 20 years ago, we were out taking a wall to safari, hiking in, uh, where was Southern it? Southern Utah. Southern Utah. Way, way out. We're way out in the middle of the desert, and we come up to this tree, and there's 420 <laughs> carved in it. We're all, hey, look at this. <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. For the Waldos, their story is not about money. They haven't made a dime off their story, although they recently announced that they're kicking off a new brand, 420 Waldos 1971, and all proceeds from their products will go to the Drug Policy Alliance, a nonprofit whose mission is to end the war on drugs. Legalization. Can you talk about what that's been like watching um, pot become legal in California and me elsewhere? And, me and my wife and daughter went up to a dispensary and it was, was up in Oregon. And, they, and the wife and daughter had never been to a dispensary before. So we go in and my wife bought something and my daughter's there looking around. And, uh, and then my daughter and her, and her boyfriend, they're looking at stuff, and they go, she goes, Mom, can we, can we get this? And she goes, uh, sure. And then she goes, well, I don't have any money. She goes, okay, I'll buy it for you. Is that a change of, of <laughs> you know, is that a change? Yeah. Well, I know certain families probably not. But. The whole family goes to the dispensary. Yeah. But, you know, we, 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 when we were teenagers, like we told you in the car, it's like it was a crime to own marijuana. And it was like we were constantly hiding, hiding and sneaking around and we're like outlaws. Yeah. But, you desperados. know, desperados trying desperados. to get weed, you know, and... Uh, when you're a teenage boy, you're thinking about weed, girls, and rock and roll. 
You know, you know, it, it was the fact that it was illegal as always, but that did make the air a little more exciting. Not that it was bad in the way that you could get busted and you were scared. On the other hand, the air was kind of electrically charged all the time. So that kind of... So we were radioactive in, in, in our own way. <laughs> yeah. Glowing. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that, you know, does it take away from the sexiness of weed? It takes a little... It ta- it, I think it takes a little bit of the mystique away now that it's legal, but, you know, it's... it's it also takes away a little bit of the... There was such a brotherhood mm-hmm. of weed smokers because, you know, not everybody did it and it was so forbidden. So there's a little bit more of a brotherhood now. Yeah. Then, then outlaw then brotherhood yeah. where you know you yeah. were in on a secret and your straight parents didn't know about it yeah you know we were seekers we were we weren't the spicoli stupid stoners we had a brain in our head but we like to uh, get a little high once in a while well guys if you are out there celebrating 420 this year do so safely. The safest way, in fact, to celebrate 420 is to listen to the podcast next Friday as we talk to Andrea Drummer, who used to be a youth drug counselor and now is a cannabis chef. Yeah, absolutely. I look at the cannabis as an ingredient, just as I would the basil on a bruschetta or oregano or thyme. You know, when I get a strain and I smell it, I smell the possibilities and what would this pair best with? So we are so excited for the podcast to launch and we really hope you are too. I'm Jenny Kane, a reporter with the Reno Gazette Journal and the USA Today Network. I'm a weed reporter, so I'll be your guide through each episode. That's not to say by any means that I'm an expert. I'm learning about all this stuff too. We have chats with a sheriff, a pro athlete, a politician, a wide assortment of voices. We're really excited to start this conversation. And if you want to be part of it, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and also rate and review us if you're feeling it. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Podcast Podcast. There are a few podcasts out there, so look for the pair, Podcast Podcast. And email us at podcast at gannett.com. That's P-O-T-Cast at Gannett, G-A-N-N-E-T-T dot com. Many thanks go out to Dave and Steve and all the Waldos for sharing their story and showing me my first vault. Woo woo. I want to have something in a vault just so I can have something in a vault. <laughs> the podcast is a production of the Reno Gazette Journal and the USA Today Network. I got to give a huge shout out to my editors, Kelly Scott and Brian Dugan of the Reno Gazette Journal. And of course, Shannon Green of USA Today. We all hope that you're as excited as us. And until next week, enjoy your safaris and we'll talk to you soon. We had no idea we were creating history. Yeah. You know, we were just... It was a private joke. A private joke. And we held on to momentum. It's still a private joke.